Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 174. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today we're going to answer a couple questions about what's worked, what hasn't worked as an inflation hedge. But more specifically, got a question, and we had done a little presentation for a group last week, and I mentioned that TIPS bonds, the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, I believe the, uh, the fund was TIP, was down at one point close to 9% year to date. And I'm like, wait, wait a second, isn't inflation up? Aren't those supposed to protect me? So I'll get into that a little bit. Uh, also take a look at gold and Bitcoin. And gold is a traditional hedge against inflation. Bitcoin was claimed to be a hedge against inflation, although as I'll get into, I don't think that's been the case, obviously. And then finally, just the idea of can we actually have a recession when employment is unemployment is this low? And so I'm going to examine those. And I'll also talk a little bit about what the unemployment survey and the unemployment rate is actually measuring. Because I, I think there's some misnomers or misunderstandings about actually what's being counted and what's not being counted. And there's another way to sort of see some of that as well. So the first thing is, why didn't TIPS bonds work? Well, here's the quick answer. TIPS bonds and quote unquote the word bond means that you have interest rate risk. And while TIPS bonds and TIPS are treasury inflation protected securities, and I won't go into exactly how they work and you're like, well, wait a second, tell me how they work. And we did a very extensive podcast. We did at least I did one and I did one with uh, Marcel Benjamin from State Street. He's a, uh, a fixed income uh, analyst over there. Great episode, really deep dive on tips, bonds, uh, and just bonds in general. In fact, we did one on, on high yield securities as well and about interest rate risk. So I'll link to the, both of those shows and I urge you to go back and listen to those because they really were sort of, you know, master classes in uh, in fixed income uh, with Marcel Benjamin. So, so they have interest rate risk. And like most bonds, you kind of get, if interest rates go up, bonds go down. It's the seesaw. And we know that the longer duration bonds, and let me be clear about what I'm saying here. The longer a bond has until maturity, that affects its duration. And you're like, well, wait a second, aren't those the, one and the same? Not Yes and no. Not exactly. So duration measures the sensitivity to changes in rates. And so the higher the duration, the more sensitive a bond will be to a change in rates. Now, duration can be impacted by its time to maturity. You know, how long? Is it 30 years away? Is it 20 years, five years, two years? Uh, but also it looks at uh, the current coupons, and so the lower the, the interest coupons are and the longer time until maturity, the more sensitivity you have to interest, you know, changes in interest rates. And so TIPS bonds have interest rate risk, just like regular treasuries. Interest rates go up. Uh, the value, the market value of bonds is, is uh, going to go down. And a lot of the, the TIPS bonds... So they're trading back. I, I did take a look and I just pulled up some random maturities. And you know, why am I looking at these? I just, 
I typed in, uh, you know, right around a uh, five year. And currently, you know, a lot of the, the yield to maturity, if I go out five years, is about 0.3%, so 30 basis points. And we know that TIPS bonds can be impacted. So if, if CPI goes up, there can be an adjustment higher in CPI, and then the coupon pays off the adjusted uh, par value, we'll call it. Uh, I know there's probably a, an official different term for that. So, yeah, inflation going up helps that. But remember, a lot of these bonds, I, mem- I remember looking, I think it was back in March or April, and you, know, you had TIPS bonds right around you know, four, five, six years to, to maturity. They were trading at a yield to maturity you know, negative. They were like negative 60 to 70 basis points, meaning if, you, if inflation didn't move from there and you just held it until maturity, you're, you'd have a negative yield to maturity. You'd lose money on it, okay? And especially on a, on a real basis. Now, I'm not going to get into break-even rates and when it's better to hold the tip bond or when it's better to hold the, the nominal treasury. You can, you can listen to those episodes. I'll post in the links. But that was part of the issues, part of the issue. You know, you had these bonds that were trading very high with negative yield to maturity, which means they were pretty sensitive to changes in interest rates. And so even though you've had some positive adjustments on the, the, you know, the, the bonds themselves from inflation, uh, you've got interest rate risk. And so in, I, in an ideal world, you would not have interest rates going up. You would have interest rates going down and you would have inflation increasing greater than expected, you know, greater than break-even rates. And then you know, they would be – so I'm not saying they're never going to be a good buy or, or anything like that. I, mean, I, I don't make really predictions here. Um, but we did say – I think Jay Pestricelli, Jay Pestricelli and I were on an episode – a while back and we were doing our contrarian corner and you know just throwing out some ideas and we said you shouldn't trade off these but here, here's like if you want to be a contrarian i think i at one point said uh, maybe short tips bonds meaning you know make money if they go down which seems counterintuitive but they were trading at such high uh negative yield to maturities i guess i guess it's yeah you kind of get what i'm saying there so they haven't they haven't really delivered as much now. The longer the duration tips, I don't. Um, I, I I'd have to look um, on on the duration on those shorter duration tips bonds and tips ETFs and funds probably have, have done better. In fact, I, I know they have. Um, but you know, and the longer duration, the worse that interest rate changes higher have impacted these. So, yeah, so far that's. That's not been uh, a place it, – it seems so obvious, right? You say, well, if I want to protect against inflation. But this is one of those things where – and I think for a lot of investors, and, and I've seen this recently, especially with you know, the advent of the Robinhood traders and a lot of people getting into options. Uh, bonds, by the way, are – there. sometimes they uh, – uh, when we think about Bonds, they have a lot of characteristics of options, meaning the math. There's a lot of math involved in understanding how the move and why. And it's kind of just one in many things that you say, oh, I didn't realize they could do that. 
and it's it's across different things. So anyway, the the other point I wanted to make is a lot of people have been talking about let me let me go to gold first and let me go to to Bitcoin. Now, gold, if you look, the price of gold, let's see, August 7th of 2020 hit a high of 190.81. Now, when I say a high, I'm talking about the um, the GLD ETF, the Spider Gold Trust, okay? And, you know, today it's 170.09. So over the past five years, it's up cumulatively, you know, a little over 44%, okay? Um, but yeah, since since August of 2020, it's traded in a range, got down to as low as 161, got back up to 185 March 11th of this year, uh, and then has, has come back down. So, you know, these are two things. If you would have said, oh, yeah, if I have gold and if I have tips bonds or tips, you know, a fund with tips in them, those should be killing it during inflationary periods. And I, I don't, you know, I can't, in this, this time frame we have, you know, I, I haven't done a deep dive into why gold did or didn't uh, move higher. You can make the argument, you know, look, it was uh, lower in 18 and, and started to move up. Maybe it anticipated some of the inflation that was coming. Maybe it didn't. Who knows? And then, of course, there's Bitcoin. And when we look at Bitcoin's price, I mean, Bitcoin the other day got down below 20, uh, yeah, below, uh, not 27, below 18,000 at one point. And it's always interesting. I, I see some of the prices on weekends because we were at trades, I think, pretty much 24-7. I don't know that for sure. Uh, but June 18th, it got below, uh, I think it closed around 18,948. And that's back to 21,000. I mean, November of 2021, it was close to $67,000. So, yeah, I mean, Bitcoin is not, I, I would just, I'll just say it. I mean, you can send me emails, Derek.more at zegafinancial.com. Uh, that's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Z as in zebra, E as in Eddie, G as in George, A as in Apple. Financials up to you to spell correctly dot com. Happy to get the emails. Probably email me if you want to know how we manage portfolios, how we manage risk. And uh, if you have ideas for future shows uh, like this one, I was getting some follow-up questions on the tips bonds and on why some of the stuff worked or didn't work. And uh, love to, uh, to hear from the uh, listeners. But, you know, we think about Bitcoin. I, I, I'll just say it. I think it's been a failure. Uh, people who thought it was going to be this this unbelievable inflation hedge, so far it hasn't been. And I, I think, you know, one of the, the things that I think we've realized is that it's traded more like, you know, a risk on asset. And so as tech stocks uh, started to sell off, some of the, uh, the risk on stuff started to, uh, to give back, you know, their, their all-time highs, we saw assets like this have problems as well. I, you know, I don't, I don't spend enough time in, in the Bitcoin world and the crypto world to really have a, an intelligent thing to say on, on the amount of leverage that's in that system. But I am hearing anecdotally that there is leverage. And, you know, I'm not, 
look, I, I have no idea where these things are going. And I've been the, the crypto skeptic, certainly of, of uh, you know, at least on this podcast publicly. I don't know where the price is going, right? I'm not saying you should short it. I'm not saying you should buy it. What I am saying, though, is I, some of these, um, and I know it wasn't necessarily Bitcoin. There were some stable coins that weren't so stable. You know, look, when you have <laughs> these places saying, hey, you get 20% APR, you know, annual interest rates, when the 10-year treasury is, is uh, you know, giving you three and a half, like something's not right there. There's risk there. And if you know nothing else, you know, if there's that type of margin and the difference in the risk, a uh, difference in the interest rate that an asset is paying, you got to say, well, why is that? So I don't know. We're, if leverage, uh, you can have margin calls if people are borrowing a lot to, to buy this stuff. And when things sell off, if there's a lot of leverage, sometimes it accelerates the sell off. So we'll see what happens. But I would just say, yeah, it has not, it has not been an inflation hedge, and it certainly is, um, you know, been it's traded like a risk asset. Okay, so, all right. the The final thing I wanted to get into is the idea of a lot of people talking recession, and people said, you know, Atlanta GDP now is forecasting, and it's a now cast, so that changes. It's going to move around a little bit before we get the, you know, the close out of Q2. In fact, we'll keep getting Atlanta GDP nowcast. So nowcast just takes right now, what's all the information that you have and what's the best estimate right now of what GDP will be. So GDP in, in the second quarter won't be announced officially until, uh, what do we, you know, June, April, May, June. Yeah, sometime in, in end of July, we'll get the first estimate of GDP officially. But the nowcast is saying 0% growth in GDP in Q2. Real, and that's real GDP, right? So adjusted for inflation. We had negative real GDP in, in the first quarter. And so a lot of people saying, aha, if you get two consecutive quarters in a row of negative GDP growth, that's a, that's a recession, right? It's a recession. It's the back of the envelope recession. And it's certainly indicating it's more recessionary than not recessionary. But the official definition, as I've said in the past, and I think I did a, an episode a few shows ago, I really broke down the components of what the NBER, National uh, Bureau of Economic Research, looks at. They're the group that calls official starts to recessions and ends to recessions. And one of the things they look at, I mean, they look at real uh, wages for, uh, you know, for, for people in the economy. They look at some of the other metrics, but they also look at unemployment. I mean, you think of recessions that happen. Normally, companies are, are either laying people off or they're, they're stopping hiring, right? So let me just give you a couple things on this, all right? And I, I think this will help you understand what to look for when you hear some of the stuff in the news, what it is they're talking about. First, right now, and this was as of uh, May, this came out June 3rd, the unemployment rate was only 3.6%. Unemployment rate, okay? So that's, uh, 
you know, of the people that are want a job and are actively looking and qualify under that metric and everybody who's working, like what's the percent that doesn't have a a job? Okay. And, And I'll come back to that. So let's get into jolts. It's, it's job openings, less turnover and jolts are pretty strong right now. Meaning you have a lot of open positions, right? And at the same time, unemployment is low. And you would expect if we were going, I mean, again, this could change. This could absolutely change. But right now, there's a lot of openings. And Jolts defines job openings as all positions that are open, not filled, on the last business day of the month. And a job is considered open if it meets a couple of criteria. Uh, it, the position exists, there's work available, you could start within 30 days. And there is active recruiting for workers from outside the establishment location that is has the opening. I actually don't know what that means, but that's the, the criteria. And so you would expect in a, in a recession to have unemployment go up, and then you would also expect for job openings to go down. So far, and this is quote unquote, so far we haven't seen that. And so even if we have negative real GDP growth, it doesn't mean we're in a recession because we have two consecutive quarters. The MBER meets and they decide uh, on a number of criteria. And I'll, I'll link to that episode because I really did a deep dive. I don't want to uh, you know, re- redo that on this, uh, on this podcast today. So the other thing that we can look at, and it's the, the labor participation rate. So the labor participation rate says basically, and it's 62.3%. And that tells us basically um, civilian labor force, what amount of the civilian labor force either has a job or, yeah, I mean, what, what, what is, um, let, me, let me try and simplify this. What is the active labor force? Okay. So... That actually, you know, that crested in, let's see, I'm just looking here, you know, September, uh, March of, uh, March of 2000, actually, it was 67.3%. And it has been trending higher. That's kind of the, what's a shame about when the pandemic hit um, and then the lockdowns and the closures and all that stuff that went with it that this was trending really well. Well, guess, you know, it, it's, uh, it's been trending, uh, you know, back, back down. Actually, let me, let me make sure. <laughs> I, I just realized it, March of 2000, I want to be clear on that. Um, but then it had been trending up. It reached a low of 62.4 in September of 15. And it had gotten all the way back close to 64. Like it was trending up into March of 2020, Okay. That other number was from March of 2000. And we've never exceeded the, the March of 2000 since, since then. So what's interesting is that, so right before the, you know, the March 2020 recession, 63.4%. That got down to 60.2% in April of 2020. No surprise there. 
Um, and then we're still only, you know, 62.3. So if you could see what I'm seeing, it has not gotten back to pre-COVID levels. So, you know, prior to the, the recession, right? So that's one of the things too. And the reason why I bring this up is it goes to who is in this survey. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics, BLS, is who does the unemployment numbers. And I'm just reading from, uh, they've got a, a, a PDF here, and I'll try and link to this. Um, and, you know, maybe if you're interested in, in their methodology and their questions. But this is a survey. Like the ADP data, which is a, a payroll company, they actually, you know, have some data. But this is a survey. And I believe it says here they, they survey, I think it's 60,000 households, which you might be like, how do they determine the U.S.'s whole unemployment situation based upon 60,000 households? And let me see. I think it's. I think I'm getting this right. Sixty thousand. Yeah, there are about sixty thousand eligible households in the sample for this survey. This approximates into 110,000 individuals each month. A large sample compared to public opinion surveys, which usually cover fewer than two thousand people. Okay. So basically, they sample this and then you know they they extrapolate out uh, what that looks like. Okay. So. And they ask questions. And the, the general thing, and I'm reading here from the BLS, people with jobs are employed. People who are jobless, looking for a job and available for work are unemployed. And the labor force is made up of employed and unemployed. And people who are neither employed nor unemployed are not in the labor force. And so who's counted as employed? Well, you have a job. And I mean, basically, that's that's kind of the uh, um, yeah. I mean, that that's basically. I, there, there's some other nuances here, you know, prevented from working by bad weather or and, and you know some situation. And who is counted as unemployed? Well, people are unemployed. They're classified as unemployed if they do not have a job, have actively looked for work in the prior four weeks and are currently available to work. Actively looking for work may consist of any of the following activities. Contacting an employer directly or having a job interview, public or private employment agency, friends or relatives, a school or university employment center. And it could be you know, filling out applications, submitting resumes, uh, placing or answering job advertisements, checking union or professional registers, and some other means. So basically, if, if they call somebody and they say, did you, did you look for work in the last four weeks? And they say, yeah. And I, I'm, maybe there's a follow-up question of how do you do that? Um, and are you available for work? But if somebody says, yeah, I am looking, um, but I, I, I was looking five weeks ago, but then I stopped because I have something, you know, uh, something coming up. I'm going to visit a friend in a, another state. So I'm not looking right now. Okay, that person is not considered unemployed. Um, but, and I, that's how I, this is how I interpret it. And so that's, that's one of the things. And there are people who have given up. And there's other measurements of that I won't get into. 
So you've sort of given up or you haven't looked uh, within the last four weeks. So, you know, those things, and that's why, um, you know, the the labor force participation rate is sort of interesting. And and then, you know, they also ask, and this is really, you know, who's not in the labor force? Uh, It's made up, we know the labor force is made up of unemployed and employed. Um, But those who have, who don't have a job and are not looking for one are counted as not in the labor force. So, and they, they make mention here, a lot of people who are not in the labor force, they're going to school, they're retired, um, you know, and, and so they'll ask, do you currently want a job, either full or part-time? And then what's the main reason you're not looking for work in the last four weeks? Uh, did you look for any, anything in the last 12 months? Uh, last week, could you have started a job if you were offered one? So I won't go through this, but uh, – and there's different unemployment metrics. So they call them, you know, it's basically if you've given up or um, things like that. But I wanted to just bring that up because let's say, you know, it is interesting in, if we have uh, – I'm not going to say if we have. In times when we've had bad recessions in the past – you know, there may have been people who were looking for work and it just wasn't, you know, every day going out or answering stuff or trying to, you know, make contacts. And then if they stop looking, then they're actually not in the labor force. So there's some people who look at that difference between where the labor force participation rate is now and where it was um, prior to the March 2020 uh, start of that short recession and say, well, there's the spread there. There's a difference there. And maybe the unemployment rate is actually a little bit higher. On the other side, though, we see job openings that are up this much still. It looks like people can't fill positions. So are these positions that nobody wants? Are they not paying enough? Is, are they not in places that there are enough workers, you know, different ge- geographical things? I don't know. But my whole point of giving you this information is this. I think, and this is just my opinion, and I could be wrong on this. I've been wrong about things before. I just, I look at some of the, where we stand right now with unemployment and the number of job openings. And I would say that the NBER, if they look at employment as one of the big things, I'd be hard-pressed to say that they could look at the current unemployment numbers and say that we're in a recession. It doesn't mean that we'll, we'll be in one. I mean, I guess you can have a recession with, without unemployment going too high, uh, although typically you do see a jump in unemployment. So all this is conjecture. It's just uh, helping you understand when you hear news what to make of it. So we'll leave it there, and I'll let you know if we're in a recession when it happens. How about that? Uh, send me emails, Derek.more at zegafinancial.com. Ideas for guests, ideas for future shows, or you just want to find out how we manage money and how we might be able to help you, or uh, just want to send an email and say hi. That's fine too. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you next week.